Well, good morning again, and welcome to this session of Right Actions Produces Right Results. This is the last section of this training. As we've talked about before, right worldview is a starting point for leading to right actions, because right worldview leads to right thinking, and right thinking leads to right actions, and right actions leads to right results. And the right results are not necessarily the results that we want, but they're the results that God wants. And sometimes those results aren't necessarily what we want. And we have to be content that sometimes difficult results happen. Like when Jesus went to the cross, that probably wasn't the result that he wanted in the, in, in his natural condition. In fact, that's why he sweat great, great drops of blood asking the father that if he could pass on that particular event. But the father said, no, um, this is what you will do. And so by doing what, by obedient, by obediently thinking correctly, he acted correctly. And that led to the results, which is death on the cross and which metaphysically meant far more than what it looked like in the natural. It turned out to be the basis for the justification of mankind to God, the reconciliation of mankind to God, the redemption of mankind from sin. So the results were fabulous although it didn't necessarily look fabulous, particularly to those that were there at that time. So right, right worldview leads to right thinking, which leads to right action, which leads to right results. So we're gonna focus a, a bit on, on how to you know, apply scripture and that will lead us then to the results that God wants. So just a quick reminder, one of the greatest sources of wisdom we have is Solomon. Remember, wisdom is the skill to live well in God's universe. Knowledge is an understanding of how God's universe works. So knowledge is a predicate. And then wisdom, you take knowledge and you, by the grace of God, develop skill from the Holy Spirit to be able to apply that knowledge to live well. Solomon, in one of the most interesting situations of scripture where God said, ask what I should give you, which very few people have had that kind of invitation from God, but he did. And Solomon was so wise. He said, now grant me wisdom and knowledge so that I may lead these people for who can judge this great people of yours. You see, Solomon recognized he'd been given a, a, a fabulous, incredible, challenging assignment to lead the people of Israel. And if you're going to lead anyone, you've got to make judgments. You've got to make distinctions. You've got to make calls. You've got to decide what you're going to do, what you're not going to do, and who's going to do it and who's not going to do it. These are all the things you have to do as a leader, as a manager. And Solomon recognized he can only do that well with wisdom. So God's response to him was, was wonderful. So you can see what he said. Second Chronicles 1, verses 11 and 12. Since this was in your heart and you have not requested riches, wealth and glory or for the life of those who hate you and you've not requested long life, but you've requested for yourself wisdom and knowledge that you may judge my people for whom I have made you king. We don't make ourselves king. We don't self-commission. He was commissioned by God to be king. Wisdom and knowledge are given to you. I will also give you riches, wealth, and glory, unlike what it was given to the kings who were before you or will be given to those after you. And indeed, Scripture confirms that that's indeed what happened. First Kings 4, verses 30 and 31 tell us 
Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East, greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone. And he been he reflected this wisdom in literature that he wrote. He wrote Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Proverbs has been called the, the manager's handbook. You might have heard Dennis Peacock making that kind of statement. It's full of pithy wisdom, maxims about how to live life, all of life, all of life, everything in life. There's something in, in Proverbs on every aspect of life. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. Ecclesiastes was the great experiment. Solomon had the time, the talent, the resources, which included manpower and, and, re, and silver and gold. In other words, money. He had everything he needed to do whatever experiment that he wanted to do. And he did. He did those things. And he discovered that all is vanity. In other words, when man, man tries to create man's own reality and man tries to define success in and of himself, it is vanity. The only thing that man is charged to do before God is to obey him and keep his commandments. That is success. And then the Song of Solomon is a great celebration of the relationship between a man and a woman. So we have this incredible source of wisdom that's been given to us that we should become very, very familiar with. And if we do, then we will be full of wisdom and we will then know how to think correctly. And once you can think correctly, you can act correctly. Once you act correctly, you get the results that God is looking for in and through your life. So let's look and see how Solomon's wisdom can guide us in all the various areas of life. As you know, there are five jurisdictions where God has delegated authority. There's self-governance, family governance. There is ecclesia governance, workplace governance, and cultural governance. Ecclesia is the what Jesus said he was going to build as part of his legacy. He said, I will build my ecclesia in Matthew 16. That would be the work done by his followers after he is gone. The ecclesia is his community of believers, those who follow him, claim to be his disciples. And what we're used to connecting that to the concept of church today, and that is not necessarily a good way to think about it because many there are many organizations that claim to be churches today that don't seem to resemble Christianity at all. So you have to be very discriminating. That's just why I've changed the term. I'm not going to use the word church to the best of my ability. Sometimes I slip, but I'm trying to use the word ecclesia because that is the, the Greek word. And the word ecclesia has no reference to a building like the word church does today. The word ecclesia refers to a group of people who have been called out by God to rule on his behalf. That means we're called out to execute the creation mandate. Mankind was created by God to be his agents to rule creation. Mankind fell, and God has been in a, in a process of redeeming mankind since the fall. And now the ecclesia is the new, new, new age or new era. I don't want to call it new age, new era, starting with the advent of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit, and now the new covenant. The new covenant is a covenant with man based on the work of Christ and now the gift of grace. So based on that, Christ is building his ecclesia. These are called out people 
to do what the mankind was put here to do originally, which is to rule God's creation, and at the same time to disciple others and build others up so they can be functioning members of the ecclesia. So ecclesia governance is very, very critical. Then we have workplace governance and we have cultural governance. All of these things are, these are the five jurisdictions and all these areas are, should be expressions of where the rule and reign of Christ is executed. So let's just go through these one at a time very quickly. So first of all, ecclesia governance, Solomon says this, wisdom comes from God. It does not come from man. Man does not have wisdom. If man exercises wisdom, it's because God has given him that wisdom. We don't have anything. We don't know anything. We have no wisdom or knowledge that God doesn't give to us. Everything ultimately comes from God. From the Lord's mouth comes knowledge and understanding. There's no wisdom that can stand against God. In other words, in God's universe, it doesn't matter what kind of scheme you concoct. It's not going to work unless you have godly wisdom in it. You have to use God's wisdom to have any success. And there is common grace for even unregenerate people to do some level of, of obedience or have some level of obedience to God. And so they can have some level of, of, of uh, success in the natural world. But the ones who can have the most success are those who know Christ. So we need to know, we need to understand that the wisdom that comes from God is available to us through the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, and through properly understanding creation and through the specific revelation that God may give you when you have a specific need. Then you have seek divine wisdom. Wisdom is supreme. In other words, there's nothing better than this. Get wisdom. Whatever else you get, get understanding. And here wisdom and understanding seem to be used interchangeably. So it, the, ad, the admonition here for all of us is to really make wisdom a high priority. And of course, we could appeal to Proverbs 8 where it talks about, you know, wisdom is more precious than silver or gold. There's nothing more precious than wisdom. It's the most precious of all of the spiritual aspects of spiritual wealth. Tangible wealth should be used to buy wisdom. This is the way we need to function if we're going to function well. If we're going to take the right actions to produce the right results, we want self-governance to be based on our church governments to be based on true wisdom, not man-made or man-concocted ideas. We have to go to the word of God. This is why the word of God is so critical. And then we have self-governance. And you've heard me talk about be, be humble, be submitted, be teachable. I think these are just critical traits that we must embrace. Proverbs 11.2 says, when pride comes, there comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 4.1 says, listen sons to a father's discipline and pay attention so that you may gain understanding. We have to learn to be submitted to fathers, both natural fathers and spiritual fathers. If we don't do that, we will be ignorant. We will be foolish. We will be walking in worldly wisdom, which is pseudo wisdom. There's no wisdom in that. We have to get, get aligned with God's processes if we're going to gain wisdom. And one of his fundamental processes is fathering. We are naturally born in this world as orphans, separated from the heavenly father. We're given a natural father, and this is an opportunity for us to learn to submit to, to fathers. And if we learn to submit that, it's opening the door for us to submit to the heavenly father through spiritual fathers. So we've got to learn to be submitted in all areas of life. 
And then we have to learn to be teachable. Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. We must learn the value of being corrected, of being trained and instructed and learn from these things. These are God's ways for us to learn and to grow up and to be self-governed under God. That is self-governed based on the principles of God, largely revealed in his word. So being good students of the word, being under spiritual fathers, being humble, submitted, and teachable, these are the ways forward for self-governance. Then we have family governance. First, we've got to recognize what marriage is. Marriage is a divine covenant. It is a divine covenant before God. Marriage is not an optional institution. It, it's That's the way the world looks at it. That's their definition of reality, which is a lie. It's deception. But sadly, I find in the Christian community today, particularly among young people, they they think like the world. They think like the pagans do. They think marriage, well, marriage hadn't worked out too well, so maybe we ought to do something different. That is wrong thinking. Proverbs 2, 7, 17 makes it very clear that marriage is a divine covenant. Solomon also tells us that we must train our children in the way that they should go. God has a way for every child, a path, a race for them to run, to use Hebrews 11, 1 and 2, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 imagery. We need to, as parents, guide them and direct them into the race, which means we need to discern it. And we'll probably see it before they will. And as we see it, we train them to run their race. This is what parenting is. Parenting today has become very reactive. That is not godly parenting. Godly parenting is proactive, discerning the call of God and preparing the children to fulfill that call. And we cannot hold back corporal punishment. We're in a, in a culture today that tries to tell us you don't spank at all. You you just that hurts their that wounds them that that damages their spirit, their self-esteem in some way. This is the folly of the world. This, they're, again, they're creating reality that's inconsistent with the word of God, which means it's error. It's a lie. It's deception. It, it will not work. What works is obeying the word of God. And we're told foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. A rod of discipline will separate it from him. Don't hold back the rod. Use the rod to separate the child from that sin. That's the point of the rod. You've got to trust that that is God's process, his means and methods. Don't listen to the culture on this. Then we have workplace governance. Workplace governance is all about recognizing that work is a holy calling. That when we are working, we're called to work as unto the Lord in the fear of the Lord, which is a way to express in with that we are worshiping God. We are honoring God. We recognize God's hand, his sovereign hand at work in the workplace. So conduct visit licitly. Use honest balances and scales. In other words, be honest about how you do business with people. Treat people the way you want to be treated. Trade up. Always be looking to trade tangible wealth, money, for intangible wealth, which is true wealth, like righteousness and wisdom and great reputation and discipleship. These are things we trade up for. If you can invest in someone, time, talent, treasure, technology, all that you have to give and help them grow up in Christ, that is priceless. That's real wealth. Money was just a tool. Use money as a tool to help you trade up. And remember this, hard work, 
the a work ethic is is fundamentally it's at the root of being a Christian. It's a strong work ethic. If you, all you do is talk about it, it's going to lead to poverty. In all hard work, there's a profit, but merely talking about it only brings poverty. Proverbs fourteen twenty three, and finally, cultural government. This is civil government. The purpose of civil government is to set a context for the people of God to be able to live out a Christian worldview. When you can live out a Christian worldview, you you will be able to learn how to act correctly. And when you can act correctly, you will think correctly, then you will act correctly, then you'll produce the right results. So public policy should be geared to support a Christian worldview. Now, sadly, in most of the countries of the world, including the United States today, it's becoming almost intolerable for Christians because a Christian worldview is no longer supported. It's no longer supported in any level. You know, it's not supported in the education system. It's not supported in our public policy. It's not supported in our economics. And it's becoming not supported in our social norms. In every area of life, we're disconnecting from biblical norms. And this is what's going to lead to folly. This is going to lead us to poverty. See, and we've got to learn to, to press in and to seek truth and set a context for truth in every area of life to be able to be self-governed. So cultural governance requires public policy coming from God. By me, kings, reign, and rulers issue decrees that are just, that is align with God. By me, princes, govern, and nobles, all who rule the earth. And if you're going to rule well, you have to rule according to a Christian worldview. It's the only way to rule in a valid way. As we do this, we want to be sensitive to the poor. Now, there's two kinds of poor. There's the poor that want to be poor and the poor who lack resources to do the will of God. The poor that want to be poor, they don't want to do the will of God. They, they're happy to being poor. I, I don't think he's telling us to, to, to reach out to them. He's telling us to reach out to those who lack the resources to do the will of God. I think that's the sense of it. If you look at uh, Acts 4, I think you'll see in how the early church practiced giving to the poor. It was to those who lacked the resources to do the will of God. That early church really understood the will of God was the big deal. And that's what they were trying to support was the will of God. And so they were very generous in supporting anyone who was trying to seek to line up with God. So I think that's the real essence of it. So th those who give to the poor will lack nothing. But those who close, close their eyes to them will receive many curses. When you see someone seeking to do the will of God but lacks resources, and you have the resources to be able to help them, you should be very, very humble before God about whether or not he wants you to put those resources to work in helping that person line up with what God's called them to do. Finally, when the wicked rule, there will be oppression. Proverbs 28, 28. When the wicked rise to power, people go into hiding. That's what's, ha that's what's happening. That's probably one of the reasons why the, if things continue as they are in the United States and the world today, the Christian community will increasingly be found underground. Those who are truly following the word of God will wind up underground. There will be visible organizations that will call themselves churches, but they won't be true churches. They'll be false churches. We already have a lot of false churches. We're just going to have more and more and that will be meeting publicly. And those who truly are holding to the word of God will have to go and meet privately. But when the wicked perish, the righteous thrive. So if the Lord were to reverse things, and the righteous were to regain the majority in the United States and be able then to set the laws, it would be a totally different world. 
and the, the, we would have a Christian context in which to do things. The church would be able to meet openly, publicly. I should say the ecclesia should be, would be able to meet openly and publicly. But at this point, that doesn't look like where things are going. But perhaps they will, by the grace of God. All right, so let me just give you some quick uh, examples of how the Proverbs help you think about hiring decisions. Hiring decisions are a very common thing for every manager. And I went through this in the seminar, which you've already been through, but I want to just quickly uh, remind you of these things because they're very convicting when you start looking at these. Because what I find with the managers I work with, the business leaders I work with, the organizational leaders, which includes profits and nonprofit as well as for profit, I find most of them just think like the world. They don't really think very Christian. If you consider what Solomon has to say to us about these various issues, I think it'll really change how you look at, at hiring people. So here's the example. Would you hire an adulterer? He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Would you hire someone like that? Or how about this? Would you hire a person under a curse? The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked. How would you like to hire somebody that you know was under a curse? Or how about, would you hire a person under judgment? Very similar to a curse. Be assured an evil person will not go unpunished. You see, there, an evil person, someone living in sin, as God defines sin, and you have to know that the culture no longer defines sin the way God does. For example, adultery is no longer a sin. It's a sin in the Bible, but it's not a sin in the culture. Adultery is just a choice. There's nothing wrong with it today. That is very, very wicked and evil. And Isaiah tells us, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And that's where we are with our social norms and many of our public policies today. We're calling evil good and good evil. And that puts us under judgment, too. So don't go hire people under judgment. And you need to be very thoughtful about what judgment you may be inviting by thoughts and, and actions that you're taking. Would you hire a person who loves pleasure? The one who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will not get rich. Not rich in the worldly sense, but rich in the sense of being rich before God. Don't read this as a pagans read it. Read it like a Christian. How about would you hire a person who does not value the Bible? Proverbs 28, 9. Anyone who turns his ear away from hearing the law, which is God's written revelation to us, even his prayer is detestable. He has no ability to communicate with God. Would you hire someone that had no ability to pray and seek the Lord and hear and discern from God? See, most people don't even realize, I, yeah, I really need people that can do that. Because when you go about your work day every day, you're going to run into things and you need wisdom. You need to pray. You need to be able to commune with the Father and hear from the Father. But if you have a bad view, a low view of Scripture, that's a bad view, then you won't be able to hear anything. Why would you hear somebody like that? Would you hire a, a wicked person who appears to prosper? The wicked earn deceptive wages. You see, the wicked can't appear to prosper. Psalm 73 is a great example of this. But Psalm 73 tells us when that happens, it's a setup for judgment. So you're back to, you're going to hire somebody that's being set up for judgment? Is that really smart? How about would you hire a fool or a deceptive person? The wisdom of the prudent is to discern his ways, but the folly of fools is deceiving. Or would you hire a person who is a sluggard? The desire of a sluggard kills himself, for his hands refuse to work. So you look at all these different proverbs that talk about 
about people and sin and people and judgment and curses and foolishness and deception, all these things. And you, you say, why would I ever hire people like this? That is a great question. Hopefully you're convicted that you don't want to hire people like this. But I know some are immediately saying they object that, wait a minute, if I have this high a standard, I won't be able to hire anybody. You can be assured there's always a way to find the people that God wants you to have. And you can be trust him that he will fund his will. If you are doing his will in your organization and his will is that you grow and you need more people to to grow, then you can be assured that he will provide that for you in his time and his ways. And they will be people that are not suffering from these these horrible diseases that you see in Proverbs, these addictions and these sin patterns that will bring nothing but judgment and folly into your company. So learn to be patient and trust the Lord. So the right action here is obedience to God, obedience to his truth, commitment to learning to live by wisdom, and that will produce the right results. So I've got a little exercise for you here. This is a a series of statements, 10 statements, basically quotes from scripture. And what I want you to do is based on your actions, rate your level of agreement with the following wisdom from Solomon, using the scale zero, which is totally disagree, to 10, totally agree. So I'll read these to you and you score yourself on a scale of zero to 10. It's an analog scale, so you can use any number in between zero and 10 that reflects your level of agreement based on your actions, not based on what you think, but based on what you do. So look hard at your actions. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You really live in that. You really believe that. Is it showing up in your actions that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding? You really lean upon that. Next one, a good name is chosen over great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. Will you sacrifice silver and gold, i.e. money, for reputation? The next one, let another praise you, not your own mouth. A stranger, not your own lips. Do you do you have to go out there and self-promote in your advertising? You're talking about how great you are. Or are you going to let you know, the people you serve make give testimony of you? What do your actions say? If you're heavy into advertising, you need to stop and think about that. Uh, heavy advertising almost always today gets into bragging and boasting and making claims that are very, very dubious. Next one, no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel will prevail against the Lord. Do you really believe that? Do you believe that you can just ignore the Lord and go go figure it out yourself? Just go find somebody to solve this problem. We just got to get this problem solved any way we can solve it. Or do you get on your knees and seek the Lord? You really seek counsel from him. Do you follow his ways? Do you have godly counselors, counselors in your life? Do you have commissioning agents? Do you have advisors? Do you have the word of God deep in you? Okay, that's the challenge. So. If you don't have that, if you don't have the word of God deep in you, you don't have people you're submitted to that are, that are authority figures that can help you discern the will of God. If you don't have good advisors in your life, then you're not doing this. You're basically denying this verse, Proverbs 21, verse 30. The next one, making a fortune through a lying tongue is a vanishing mist, a pursuit of death. This is about your value proposition. Is your value proposition, has it been really sanitized by the Holy Spirit? Is it really what God wants it to be? Or is it just the best way you know of to make money? So making a fortune 
through a lying tongue is going to vanish. So making a fortune is not a big deal. The big deal is aligning with the DNA that God has called your organization to express, lining up with the call of God for your organization and finding the people who are have been called to walk with you and fulfilling what God wants to do through the organization. So are you doing that? Next one, my son, if sinners entice you, don't be persuaded. My son, don't travel the road with them. In other words, pay attention to who your friends are. Who are, who are you around? Who influences you? They may be competitors that you admire. They may be friends or associates or other people some way connected with the business. Pay attention to your friends. Listen, you know, you, if you've got friends that are leading you astray, you need to repent. And you alone can see that probably better than anyone else. A good man leaves an inheritance to his grandchildren. Are you thinking multi-generationally? It's not about tangible wealth as much as it is about spiritual wealth. Your real inheritance is what God has put into you that he wants to work through your heirs, through your spiritual children who will continue after you're gone with the work that he's put into you to do. And they will take what you did and build on it and take it further and take it in alignment with God. So you've got to be conscious about thinking big picture multi-generationally. When the righteous flourish, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, people groan. So we have to know that it's righteousness that we're looking for. Don't hire a manager just because you think he's a good manager. Hire a manager because he's a righteous manager. He discerns the will of God. He knows the will of God. He's attuned with God. He hears from God. He's a man of the word. He's a man submitted to authority or a woman. He's a man or a woman who is, who's humble, submitted, and teachable. So do you have that? The ninth one is a leader who lacks understanding is very oppressive, but one who hates dishonest profit prolongs his life. Can you, can you make profit a secondary thing subordinated to understanding and wisdom and honesty and integrity and excellence and service? All those other great virtues of Christianity make, make profit subordinated to all of that, which means you will sacrifice profit to do the other. And finally, the one who guards his mouth and keeps and tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Look at how how the people in your organization and how you spend your spend your mouth, spend your tongue. You know, do you do you express yourself? Do you express yourself with great vigor and and often, or are you refrained? Are you guarded? Are you thoughtful? Are you careful about what you say? That's critical. You've got to use your tongue properly. And we're told that that's one of the great virtues is the one who keeps his tongue under control. You, you help keep yourself out of trouble. So what are your actions? Do you talk too much? Do you say too much? Do you overtalk things or not? So these are the, this is a, an exercise to challenge you. Do you have a Christian worldview? Do you think correctly? Do you act correctly? And therefore, are you going to get the right results? If you do those things, the results will follow, the results that God wants. And may we have grace to learn to think correctly, to act correctly, excuse me, think correctly, act correctly, and then that will lead to the right results. May that be our portion in Jesus' name.